It's your podcast. I'm just giving you intermissions <laughs> once every two minutes or so. You ever played volleyball where you're just kind of like hitting the ball up in the air trying to keep it up? Yeah, you're the other guy in the game. Yeah, that's my radio show for four hours right, a time. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Well, it's funny. Every time we would ask a Twins guest, whether it's last Friday with Clovis or on Monday with Glenn Perkins on a radio show, we'd get into the Jim Polad comments. And sure. all of a sudden, their phone would start to break up. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. There's Jim sitting on top of a cell phone tower right. with like a big mirror or something trying to alter the frequencies. And... Well, that's pretty interesting because that would be the most involved he's been in years. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry. Wow. That was a hit. Are we keeping that on the podcast? That was. A, I think it has to be. Yeah. That was a hit and run for all time. Man. Okay, on those comments from last week, let's touch on those. And people are probably sick of hearing about this, but it's our first podcast yeah. since those comments. Chip Scoggins column in the Star Tribune, Jim Polad speaks, uh, calls it a total system failure among many other. Yeah, that's, that's a State Fair t-shirt right. for us. Right. For sure. It has to be. Um... My takeaways, without going back and reading the comments in the column verbatim, ordinarily I would see an owner in any sport refusing to throw a GM and a coach under the bus and just saying, we got to get more out of the players, and I would take that with a huge block of salt, like a horse block of salt. Yeah, that's kind of gross. And like just a huge grain of salt. It is kind of gross. A salt lick. Yeah, Salt Lake. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I grew up on a hobby farm. Hey, Kentucky Derby. Hey, I'm I'm all about it. Wouldn't it be funny if humans had salt licks just laying around? I need, a, salt I need to boost my saline. Yes. So one of those things is what I would take those comments with. Because I would just figure, oh, the owner the owner would never come out and say, yeah, my right. GM is about to be fired. Why would the chairperson of a board come out and say, boy, the CEO's in some hot water, so exactly. investors have confidence. In this particular case, though... I don't think he has deeper meaning and motivation to the players behind it. I don't think he's strategically saying, oh, Terry Ryan and Paul Molitor can't do anything else and strategically trying to motivate the players. I think in his ideal world, Jim is a passive owner. Jim inherited this team and and Jim's siblings too, but Jim is the one who's the front man and sort of the, uh, if there is a hands-on owner, it would be Jim. He's the public face, right? Yeah. I don't. Th- he inherited this team from his father. It's not something that he was passionate about and bought the team when he was just becoming a billionaire himself for the first time. In his ideal world, Terry Ryan is the guy that I trust to run this team. He makes all the baseball decisions, and I have full, absolute trust in him, and until he wants to stop running the team, he can run the team. Well, we've kind of hit this impasse where it's Terry Ryan's fifth season. The team is terrible again. Worst team in the American League. As we record this, they're a half game behind the Braves for worst record in baseball, or a half game ahead of the Braves. And so to hear him come out and shrug his shoulders and say, well, I'm not sure what the manager and the GM can do, and an owner can only do so much. Well, I don't want my owner to be meddling in things he doesn't know about. I don't want him to be pointlessly rolling up his sleeves like Jerry Jones over the past 20 years, or uh, the Marlins owner, or Daniel Snyder. But I want him to be setting an innovation tone, Mm -hmm. a cultural tone, that really doesn't result in... Five ninety lost seasons in six years. So I, I didn't like the comments. I thought the no. comments were out of touch. I thought in some ways they were a bit arrogant with some of the things he said about fans. And I'd like to think that I know more than fans. Well, yeah, you do. But is that really what you want to say right now? That's right. that's what you're going on the record and saying? Right. It rubbed me the wrong way for sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I don't think it was a very 
smart way. I mean, I'm not saying he went out and leaked these comments. I'm sure Chip and then uh, Charlie Walters at the Pioneer Press, I'm sure those guys called and said, we're looking for an update. This has been terrible. It's yeah, quite a mess. That's exactly how it went down. Yeah, before. yeah, you know, and that, and I'm not blind to that fact. But I do still believe that uh, you have to expect that call coming. And as the company front man, uh, sort of the chairman of the board, uh, probably be a little bit more prepared than to unleash some of those comments. I think I think it showed a bit of um, aloofness. Is that the right word? He's he's a bit aloof to the situation right now. Aloofity. Uh, <laughs> Aloofosity. Yeah. I think that <laughs> I think that um, you know, and I don't want to get too deep into it because I'm sure people are tired of hearing it. It's 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 status quo until we hear otherwise and. Um, maybe we'll hear otherwise after the season, but personally, I'd be shocked if Molitor or Ryan was shown the door in season. I, yeah. I just don't foresee that happening. Um, I don't really know how else to take it other than this guy doesn't have a great pulse on, A, the team, but more importantly, his customers. And that's that's sort of a damning statement for any, whether it's business owner or whatever, whatever Polad's comparison is in like a Fortune 500 company, whether it's yeah chairman, CEO, CFO, whatever, president, any of those people should be expected to put on a better public face than Jim Polad is often able to do. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I guess I don't really blame him for that. I don't care how you want to run your business, but the flip side of that coin is I also wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't drive customers to a business like that. I wouldn't say, hey... Twins fans, it's been rough. It's been a long time, but just stick with this team. They're going to be so good. Personally, I don't really care if Twins fans want to stick with them. If they're sick and tired of this, this regime, this owner, this team generally, it's hard to blame them for that. Here's another way to frame it. When you look at sports owners who you consider successful around the four major uh, men's professional sports in in this country, Robert Kraft, Mark Cuban... Just look around at all the way. You'd look and you'd say, yeah, that guy is engaging. Uh, Mickey, uh, uh, Miami Heat owner, last name escapes me. But you could probably think of 10 out the top of your head of owners that are engaging but not meddling, excited. Uh, Joe Lacob in Golden State. And they genuinely care. You can tell they're passionate. They Sometimes maybe they're too passionate, in the case of Mark Cuban, to the point where he gets fined upwards of a million dollars over the course of 10 or 15 years. It writes it off as a business expense. Right. And maybe some of this is just <laughs> Jim Polad's personality, but I, I've never gotten the sense that he loves owning a baseball team. Sure. It almost feels like a chore or just some kind of a side thing that, yeah, it's a family inheritance and... And he's an introverted, quiet guy. He's not a dynamic personality. So maybe I'm just misreading. Maybe he really does love owning the Twins, but he just he's kind of a quiet guy. So Glenn Taylor's kind of a quiet guy, but you can tell Glenn Taylor loves owning the Wolves. He's courtside. He's wearing goofy sweaters courtside. Yeah. He's you know he's high fiving players, and he's he's just there. And is he a great owner up until he hired Tom Thibodeau? I would have told you no. He's one of the worst owners in sports over that 20 year period, especially the last 10 years. I just. I watched Jim Polad, and whether it's a fact that he doesn't seem to be all in enjoying owning a Major League Baseball team, or even if that's just the vibe that he puts out and that's the perception, I think both are a problem. Yeah. Number one is a bigger problem. Sure. Number two is a problem that you've got to find a way to connect with people, and you've got to find a way to explain yourself and calm people and make sure everyone knows, even if things aren't going right, we've got a plan here, and mm-hmm. this plan is going in the right and, and I'm, I'm the first one. I sat here. I don't think I said this on our podcast because you and I went with the 20 to 30 win range for predictions on this that's podcast. Right, that's right. <laughs> but on the show, my co-host and uh, producer made me put an actual prediction. I said sure. 90 wins. Yeah, you did. And I said 90 wins knowing that there's also a chance they could win 75 and it wouldn't shock me. I thought they would overcome a lot of the deficiencies we've talked about, bullpen and other things bad corner outfield defense, I thought Buxton would be better. I thought Sano would, would take a step forward. Maybe he mm-hmm. still does, but he hasn't so far. Um, so now it's this combination of the things you thought would maybe rise above the deficiencies haven't risen above anything, and the deficiencies are stronger than we ever thought in spring training. Let me, before we put a bow on the ownership, general manager, conversation, uh, and then we can talk about this team, because 
I just published a two-part series. Yes, it was too long for one part. <laughs> uh, called um, Diagnosing Failure. I put that on 1500ESPN.com, and I basically I went over 12 things that the twins. I borrowed a phrase from you actually, and I gave a quick plug for the Touch 'Em All podcast. Believe it or not, and I said uh, there were 12 things here that the twins were hoping would happen this winter, and I went through them and assessed them one by one. This might shock you, but most of them haven't happened. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, let's say this team pulls out of its nosedive and goes 500 the rest of the way. It's like a 74-win team. That's 10 wins worse than I predicted, and I think I was the most pessimistic among, you know, the uh, at least local media that I was that I was paying attention to. I didn't see many people saying like, "This team is a hundred-loss team. They're going to take a big step backwards." Uh, most people, in fact, were saying the opposite. A step forward, this core is aging. They're kind of, not aging like they're old, but aging into their primes, and they're sort of going to gel together. Mm-hmm. They're going to overcome the loss of Torrey Hunter. The pitching's going to be better. Miguel Sano's here for a full season, and let's go. And that hasn't happened at all. Most of that stuff has fallen through. So we'll, we'll get to that in a quick second. But but my wrap-up point, one on Jim Polad, one on Terry Ryan. And I've said both of these before, but I think they bear repeating given how this has started for the Twins. Jim Polad, you and I have talked on a previous Touch Em All podcast, and we concluded, whether it's fair or unfair, that the perception is that the two of us probably like baseball more than Jim Polad does. Now, that's probably not his fault, and I would not blame him if that was the case. And I might totally be wrong on that. He might be a diehard, just baseball fanatic, and like you said, loves owning the Twins. It doesn't come across that way, and it never has. There's never been a time where it's like, he used to be passionate, and that sort of faded. He's just, his, since I've been paying attention to these kinds of things, his public sort of mien has been the same. It's been consistent. And, like, I don't blame him. I'm just stating that fact. It's entirely possible mm-hmm. That you and I and most of our listeners to the Touch Em All podcast just like baseball more. And I think Twins fans, rightly or you know, unfairly, hold that against him. The second thing I'll say is Terry Ryan. He has, in his second stint, I believe, built a robust minor league system. There is a lot of talent on the way or already arrived or dabbling with ready to go. You know, Miguel Sano's legit. Oswaldo Arcia, I was arguing with people the other day who don't think Arcia's legit. Arcia's legit. He's actually been maybe their third best hitter so far this season. Arcia, I, I think I maybe stepped over a line, and this is what they were calling me on, a little bit of semantics. I said is a stud at the plate, because in his 620-some plate appearances against right-handers, he's got 34 home runs. Mm-hmm. You call that a full season, and he only ha- got to face right-handed pitching? He is one of the better hitters in the league. And, by the way, that's his first 650 plate appearances. We're not talking about his, you know, fifth set of 600 (laughs) trips to the plate. It's his first ever. Yeah. Those started when he was a little kid and would have been interning in another profession. Yeah. Um, But, anyways, digression aside, uh, he has built, Terry Ryan, that is, a minor league pipeline that is impressive and I think the envy of a lot of organizations in baseball. When you consider Byron Buxton's still very bright future and the fact that he's tearing up AAA Rochester right now, he'll be back this summer. I think he's, by the end of the season, he will have answered the questions, is Byron Buxton actually the star that the Twins like? I think that question will be definitively answered by the end of September. I would, I would agree with that. And I think the answer is yes, I think he's way. back up before the All-Star break. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think we might see him in June. Yeah. Um, and this is just speculation, obviously, on my part. But what I, what I can't seem to find in Terry Ryan's track record, in his history, his professional resume, he's never really been the general manager that takes the big swing and connects. Um, the 2003 Shannon Seward trade should be celebrated. Uh, of course, the A.J. Pruszynski trade should be celebrated as maybe one of the biggest heists in baseball history. So I'm not trying to say Terry Ryan has never done anything good. But even against the backdrop of, he's assembled a pretty nice minor league system here. If you're the Twins, can you trust him to be the guy that takes it from loaded pipeline of youth and a couple of veterans sprinkled in to 
makes the perfect complementary trades, free agent signings, extensions, whatever, to put this team over the hump. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is right now. My tendency would be to look at his track record, and I don't see anything in his track record that shows he's capable of rolling the dice in the biggest way possible, which is probably what a mid-market team like the Twins needs. You need to have the nucleus. You need to get a little lucky with where you're at in the standings on the win, on the win curve. And then you need to pull off some great complementary moves. And that's how World Series teams are built. Um, is Terry Ryan the team to take the Twins from obscurity to the World Series? I don't think he's proven that. Yeah, you know, his first time around, I'm not, people rip him for never pulling the, the trigger on one of those types of trades. The totally first time different. Around. Totally different. I don't think at the Metrodome, when, when you were bringing in bottom five revenue in the league, right. I'm not sure it made a lot of sense to sell off two or three great prospects for one shot, one year sure. postseason, even with some of those teams they had. I, I was never, you know, maybe my Twins fandom in high school and college. In that moment, I'm thinking, like anyone else, oh, go get Alfonso Soriano or go sure. go get whatever big pitchers on the market. But if your goal is long-term sustained success, you might be mortgaging that for something that doesn't come to fruition right. in the postseason. But post-target field, no, you're not one of the top revenue teams in the league, but you're not what you were at, tar- at uh, the Metrodome. You should be competitive. You're between 10th and 20th revenue, payroll, all those different things. It kind of varies from year to year. And the last couple of years would be an example, whether it's in the winter or whether it's uh, last year before the deadline. And I think you and I both advocated, don't go crazy last year. So I'm yeah, not, I don't yep. want to be a hypocrite on this podcast. Right, right. But at some point, now you have more leeway to make a move like that. Well, this year, they're going to be sellers. This year, it's not like this year. They they're should not, be sellers yesterday. Right. They're not looking to package Max Kepler and right. Oswaldo Arcia for <laughs> yeah. a stud pitcher. Right. If they do, they'd be idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Unless Gosh. you get that guy for three years or yeah. something and you, get you can Strasburg justify it. You get on the books or something like that. Yeah. I used to contend with my friends all the time who would plead for guys like Soriano. Um Aside from just individual trades, like you could break those down till the cows come home. Um, right? You grew up on a farm. Uh, it, we didn't have cows, though. Did cows use salt licks? Uh, I think cows and horses both. I don't know if they oh. share the salt licks. No, no. But the horses would share one salt lick, or even two, and then okay. the cows would maybe share another one. Yeah, okay. But I can't confirm the cow stuff, because I only had horses on the hobby farm I All, grew up all speculation. Oh. Um, if there are people who listen to this podcast who raise cows, please... Do your cows use a salt, a salt lick? Let me know. Let Phil know on Twitter. Yeah. Are your cows using salt licks? Let and us know. Very important. Are they getting benefits from that? Mm-hmm. What I would say is that instead of instead of breaking down the individual trade, I said, I've got this blanket philosophy. For a team like the Twins in the 2000s, the first decade of this century, this millennium, I would say you are best off trying to get to the postseason every single time, no matter how weak or strong your team is because October's a crapshoot. Just get there as many times as you can because the more times you roll the dice, the more, like the higher percentage chance you're going to roll a snake eyes. And in this case, snake eyes is Johan Santana and Francisco Liriano being healthy and hot and dominant at the same time and you mow through a couple series and then you're messing around with the World Series. Whereas I think a lot of fans wanted to take those one-year shots. Hey, you know, I don't know who this Wilson Ramos guy is, and he's not helping this year's team. Let's go get something for him. I think a lot of people were probably against the Ramos for Caps trade, but that's not the point of this. The point is, a lot of people are much more willing to give up on the future than people who, like Terry Ryan, for example, who know more about what those future players might become someday. Terry Ryan probably felt worse about giving up Alex Tapia and Chilway Hu last year for Kevin Jepsen than most fans did, myself would, I would be in the latter group. I don't know anything about this who kid. I know he's a prospect, and I've read a little bit about him, and he throws a palm ball, and he's got some nice numbers. In a ball, but he means nothing to me. I, I don't know anything about him, basically. Terry Ryan, meanwhile, has like future projections for what these guys might be, and he's thinking, okay, the risk-reward is there. Let's go get Jepsen. I would argue that this has changed now. I don't think that the Twins should be in the just get there every time, doesn't matter. You should be... Now that your mindset has to shift a little bit, now that you have this money and you can really kind of start swimming in the medium-deep waters, you can go get big-name free agents, whether it's an Irvin Santana or a Ricky Nolasco or a Phil Hughes. You're no longer one of the like little guys. You're not the Tampa Rays. You can get your organization in the sort of position 
that you can be at the craps table, and then you can buy more rolls or better rolls. I don't know what, what the metaphor is here. Maybe you can buy rigged dice like the Dodgers can. The Dodgers and Red Sox can buy rigged dice. How about the Red Sox? That's a great example of rigged dice. Oh, that $80 million five-year contract for Pablo Sandoval? Yeah, we Doesn't don't, matter. It's whatever. You're benched, and if you want to get shoulder million. surgery, go ahead. $95 million. 95. Hey, Travis Shaw, you're our third baseman. Pablo, I don't, I don't care. You go do whatever yeah, you want. That's the luxury the top fourth of the league has yeah. in terms of you can well, flush payroll. How about the Dodgers? Claim Casey Fien off waivers from the Twins and send him to AAA. For two and a half million. Hey, we'll go pay you two million for a reliever. Don't care. Organizational depth. Yes. And that's it. That's the kind of pool that the Twins, I don't think necessarily, should be expected to swim in. But they're also not in the kiddie pool anymore. So go ahead and build the nucleus around whether it's Barreos, Buxton, Sano, Kepler, Arcia, whatever handful of prospects you want to throw in that list. But now you should be taking better and bigger shots on a year-to-year basis, which is something I wouldn't have advocated for 10 years ago. But I think absolutely is the case for this team right now. So the bigger the, and, and sorry, I should clarify, not this year's team, but like if this year's team was competitive, well, or but, in for but next I, year's team. Yeah, well, this year's team right now, yeah, this, yeah it's, it's over. It's, it's sell, they're sell, eight and twenty three at the time of this podcast yeah. taping. It's just the lights are out. She's done. But going into the year, I and I've been hammering one aspect of this for ever since they moved into Target Field. You can really cover up a lot of flaws as a team if you have, and this is the one aspect I've been hammering, if you have outfield defense and if you have a bullpen. If you have outfield defense and a bullpen, guess what? Your starters don't have to be top-notch. You'd like a top-notch starter, but you can then make mediocre number three, number four starters look like number two starters, Kansas City Royals. You can shorten their starts. You don't have to bring in a Rule 5 guy to pitch in the sixth inning or... Um, you know, uh, a non-roster invite at spring training to pitch in the seventh inning. Mm-hmm. You can build genuine depth, make your pitching staff stronger. And so all off season, the two things I questioned personally were, are you sure about Sano and Wright? Because now you're cutting one of your main advantages, which could be outfield defense. And if we want Arcia to play, which I'm glad in a vacuum for the twin sake that he's in their lineup. But in, again, it's not in a vacuum. It's within the context of the entire team that you have to evaluate it. You want those guys in the lineup that can't move outside the range of a hula hoop in left or right mm-hmm. field. Mm-hmm. And so that right there was a, a, a problem that was easy to foresee on the horizon. Bullpen. Okay, I can see you can make a case individually. Yeah, if Glenn Perkins is healthy, yeah, absolutely. Love him as a closer. If Jepsen pitches anywhere near last year, oh, for sure. Uh, Trevor May, I think we are all pretty confident in him. I'm not sure how much risk of failure there was there, and he's been pitching really well so far. Okay, Presley, Abad, non-roster guy, even going down to the minors, J.R. Graham, all these guys, uh, Michael Tonkin. You could make a case individually for all of these guys to succeed, but putting them all together in one group, the percent chance of that bullpen being a playoff-caliber bullpen was less than 20%. It just wasn't feasible. Oh, for sure. And, of course, there's been some bad luck and that a lot of things have gone, like all of the things that could go wrong have been going wrong here. Correct. But you and I were hammering all offseason. If you take yourself seriously as a playoff contender in your mind, then you have to take your bullpen seriously. Right. You have Which, to actually take these things seriously in practice. So if you have to go spend an extra $4 million a year on a reliever mm-hmm. per year, an Antonio Bastardo, or make a trade for someone, yeah. how do you perceive yourself? If you perceive yourself as an actual contender, you don't go into the season with a bunch of question marks in your bullpen and then try to figure it out in June. They're going to figure the bullpen out, but they're going to be 15 games below 500. Yeah, it's it's not too late. Matter. Yeah, it's so. too late. I think they said they considered themselves a playoff contenders, but in my opinion, their moves demonstrate otherwise. You know, I give them credit for the Byung Hill Park signing. Right now, the John Ryan Murphy trade looks like crap. Although Aaron Hicks has about four hits too, and that's fine. Did hit a home run last night, first home run of the season for. Aaron and Hicks. he's uh, he hosed somebody from left field too at the plate. Uh, I can't remember which game that was in. So well, but, was it the Valencia hosing, the 105 mile? Yeah, it might have been. It might have been that I'm thinking of. Um, but it, anyways, I know Aaron Hicks might not be an All Star. Fine, uh, you got a guy who is now your starting catcher at AAA Rochester. So congratulations. Um, that might still work out. Who knows? I think more highly of John Ryan Murphy than what he showed in his month uh, in the big leagues. But so far, that's been a disaster. Mm-hmm. 
uh, speaking of disasters, in that 12-part diagnosing failure, or two-part, sorry, it only felt like 12-part, uh, two-part series um, diagnosing failure on 1500ESPN.com, the starting rotation, there are 15 teams in the American League, Phil. Guess where the starters rank in collective ERA at the time of this recording, May 10th. Twin starters, collective ERA. Um, Gibson, terrible. Hughes, ERA high. Santana, kind of a slow start. Duffy, okay. I, uh, Barrios has a high ERA, uh, bottom three. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. 15 out of 15. Oh, there it is. That's that was a safe three. guess by me. Yeah. <laughs> I think in there in the bottom it wouldn't have been, half. It wouldn't have been ninth. Right. They no. rank eighth. That's right. I think they're yeah, in bottom half. That's crazy average. It's right. just really yeah. controversial. Derek, so notable that yeah. you brought that up. They rank sixth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I will uh, I will uh, now re reconfigure the question. The Twins bullpen, which we harped on all offseason. And the way I'll put it is this. This is what I was thinking about when you were talking. Because I don't, I don't actively listen when you're talking. I'm more like thinking through my own thoughts. <laughs> sure. It's your around. podcast. I'm just giving you intermissions <laughs> once every two minutes or so. You ever played volleyball where you're just kind of like hitting the ball up in the air trying to keep it up? Yeah, you're the other guy in the game. Yeah, that's my radio show for four hours right. sometimes. <laughs> right. So well, I, haven't, I haven't listened to a word Judd said in two years. No. I just, he's just there. <laughs> so the way that I'll put it is this, is that the bullpen had some lottery tickets, and some of them were awfully intriguing. You know, I get intrigued by guys who might never be something. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was intrigued a couple of years ago by Lester Oliveros. I was intrigued this spring by Ryan Presley, um, Michael Tonkin, not so much, but they're all sort of like lottery tickets. Jorman Landa, I watched him throw a bullpen in Fort yeah. Myers, and like all these guys, if you see them and they can throw ninety six with a slider that moves a lot, you stand behind the cage and think. Oh, actually, smokes. Fernando Abad is, is. I know he's not in the same young, unproven category. He's been around the league, but yeah, that's another lottery ticket. In oh some yeah, ways. absolutely. Like, okay, we was terrible last year. No right. one wanted him on a major league contract, and he's worked out great. I don't think he's given up a run so far. So he's been great. They nailed that one. Yep. Here's a perfect case too of how I get sort of teased or intrigued by pitchers. A lot of people panned the Twins for addressing the lefty, the only lefty thing that they did for the bullpen was cross their fingers on Glenn Perkins and signed a minor league contract for Fernando Abad, a guy that was terrible last year. And I said, well, hold on. Go back and look up my piece if you're if you're curious about this. At the time they signed Fernando Abad, I said, like, all right, bad year last year, but this is kind of an intriguing arm. If I was the Twins, this wouldn't be the only lefty I add, but hey, this is kind of one of the... It's got a chance to be an under-the-radar move that, that the Twins are looking back on as a success. Yeah, but they were trying to nail, like, four under-the-radar moves in one bullpen. So there's what I'm saying. And by the way, for the record, the Pioneer Press reported that the Twins did try to trade uh, for Justin Wilson, the lefty ace reliever, uh, who went from New York to the Tigers. What did the, what was the package on that? Not reported. They just said... Uh, the piece said something about... The Twins were surprised their package was not accepted, and Detroit's package instead was accepted. So the Twins must have thought their prospects were better than the ones that went from Detroit to New York. I don't know any of the inner workings of that deal. I just think Justin Wilson would look great in this bullpen and good for the Twins for trying, but guess what? You came up short. So lottery tickets, and on that point, you are... You're basically buying lottery tickets with any reliever. I mean, Casey Fien was a lottery ticket, and it worked out for a while, and then it didn't. Jarrett Burton was a lottery ticket, and it worked out great for a while, and then it didn't. There are, there are a lot of cases. Glenn Perkins kind of, at the start of his closing career, was a lottery ticket. Joe Nathan was a lottery mm-hmm. ticket. And some pan out, some don't. I get it. It's just a percentage game. You try to play the numbers. Stock your system with as many good pitchers as possible. Eventually, that filters down. The guys who don't make it as starters or as, if they don't make it as a closer, too, they can be a high-leverage late-inning reliever. Just stock the system with talent. And that's my point. You can choose... The caliber of lottery ticket you purchase. Whereas if you or I go play the Powerball, Phil, we get the same odds as anybody else. But if we, to extend the metaphor, could study Powerball numbers and figure out which were more likely to succeed and then play only those hands that give us the highest chance to succeed, all right, fine. And that's what you're doing when you're constructing a major league bullpen and... The Twins maybe did some of that, but I'd argue that they didn't do nearly enough of that this week. Well, and if your goal, okay, you've got seven 
you've got seven different ways to, and your goal is to make $100 million. Whatever you can only cash seven lottery tickets, but you yeah. can kind of play as many as you want to. Well, but like this, to take this analogy like over the cliff right now, <laughs> right. You've, got, you've got seven, you can, your goal in life or your goal in this particular project is to mm-hmm. go make some ungodly amount of money. Well, you can either, and the lottery is a great way to do that, right? You can make up a lot of ground in the lottery, or you can start a business that might have long-term potential, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Would you buy seven lottery tickets if your goal is to make a billion dollars? Right. Like, I, I might buy a couple lottery tickets sure. just because it's a really easy, quick way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so whether it's trading, and, and that's interesting that that report came out, yeah. because Justin Wilson, with the Yankees last year, he's been with three different teams now, including the I Tigers. Love it. He's a good lefty, yeah. strikeout pitcher. He yeah. would have fit the exact bill. I think he's in the middle of his prime right now. Um, but <clears throat> when it comes to if you're taking yourself seriously as a contender, if that's the group you want to you wanna socialize with, how do you construct a bullpen? So almost every team has a, a viable closer in baseball. There's probably only about six or seven teams that don't have some really good reliever at the end of their bullpen. And those teams are not competitive. Point well, to a team that could win the World Series that doesn't have someone you trust sure. at the end of a game. So you have you got at least one guy you trust. Yeah, Glenn Perkins if he's healthy, and then most teams probably have a couple guys. They've got a, an eighth inning guy too. So what I'm about to dive into isn't necessarily about eighth and ninth inning. It's about who's pitching in your sixth inning, who's the fourth or fifth guy out of the pen once you get past closer and eighth inning guy. If your starter can only go four and two thirds or five and two thirds, how are you getting from? fifth, sixth inning to eighth, ninth inning? What if your setup guy has pitched three days in a row? What's your bullpen depth like? Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was looking around uh, the last couple of years, some of the better teams in baseball. And the Kansas City Royals are a great example. So forget about Wade, they got Wade Davis. He's lights out. I'm, it'd be great to have a Wade Davis. Twins but don't have Wade Davis. No, I mean, Glenn Perkins, when he's healthy, he's very good. He's not Wade Davis. Correct. So Even the Royals have your, ba- have your back end beat, your yeah. ninth inning beat. But I'm just looking at, what they bring in to win a World Series in the sixth inning, if your mm-hmm. starter goes five. They're bringing in Ryan Madsen, former closer mm-hmm. with the Phillies, strikeout pitcher, missed a couple seasons with uh, arm troubles, but former closer coming in in the sixth inning. Luke Hoshaber coming in in the sixth, seventh innings yeah. as like the fourth or fifth guy in line. That's a former number one overall pick. Right. Talent all over the place. Uh, the Orioles right now, a team you used to cover right now, are using a top five overall pick, Dylan Bundy, in the sixth inning. Mm-hmm. Yep. Arm trouble, he came off Tommy John surgery. And, and they're uh, trying to hide him a little bit, too, because he's out of options. But sure. but, but he's been good this season Correct. so far. Uh, Michael Givens, they're using in the sixth and seventh inning. Yep. Again, like the fourth guy out of their bullpen. And the Orioles haven't been below 500 in years. Second round pick. Yeah. He's a second round pick. Darren O'Day's their setup man. Zach Britton's yes. their closer. They've got a great situation. The Twins, and this is where the lottery conversation comes in, have guys who weren't on the 40-man roster a couple months ago and or Rule 5 pitchers, right. Ryan Presley, J.R. Graham, which I want to get into that at some point here too. And those are, your, those are your guys leading into the question marks of will Glenn Perkins stay healthy? Will Kevin Jepsen repeat right. his uh, career season from last year? So like the Cardinals last year were a 100-win team, and they made some trades, and they were in a spot. They knew they were going to win the division, so they could take more chances. They knew that it wasn't a crapshoot wildcard game they were playing for. But what they bolstered their sixth and seventh innings with former closers, Jonathan Broxton, Steve Sishik. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, we don't just want eighth, ninth inning guys to lock it down. We want Jonathan Broxton, who used to close games, or Ryan Madsen, if you're the Royals, yeah. to pitch in the middle of the game in the sixth inning. Right. And um, that's that's the Twins didn't do that this offseason. Right. They just did. They went in kind of hoping, oh, maybe maybe some of these guys can step up and be locked down sixth inning guys. Too many lottery tickets. Not enough actual substance right. um, with the track records. And your biggest lottery ticket, you may or may not be able to cash. You know, Glenn Perkins, we love him around here. I think he offers great analysis. And by the way, he's a great closer when he's healthy. But how could you go into this winter saying, like, no matter what Perkins is going to do to dedicate to his health, or how could you go in thinking there was like some great percent, some very high percentage chance that Perkins lasts through a full season healthy? You almost had to assume he didn't. That's exactly what, what I said. What does your bullpen look like if you want to contend? What does your bullpen look like if he's out? Right. I wrote about this in that twelve step 
It should be the 12-step 12 12 program, right? <laughs> the Twins 12-step program. So that'd be it. Yeah, you should go back and retire. Dang. It. All right. Well, maybe Is that'll be the 12-step program for people who podcast about a team <laughs> that has a 12-step program. Well, maybe that'll be the mid-season update. But so I said, build your bullpen, and this is what I said all winter. And I, look, I'm not trying to claim that I'm smarter than the Twins. I'm not. They're smarter than me every time, ten times out of ten. But I shouldn't be able to point to things with like easy, correctable mistakes that they're making repeatedly that shouldn't happen in professional sports and it has i said build a bullpen that does not include glenn perkins glenn perkins is like the eighth guy you consider and he's still your closer don't get me wrong he's not being unseated as the closer but you build a bullpen that looks good without perkins mm -hmm. because then guess what if perkins gets to spring training and in fort myers he's mowing guys down and the 96 is back and the sliders disappearing off the face of the earth and he's striking out everybody he faces then awesome, you've just added an ace closer to an already good bullpen. Instead, they went in saying, like, this bullpen looks okay with Perkins, assuming he stays healthy 100% of the time, 100% of the year, the Royals, and converts 100% of his saves. The Royals won that World Series without who? Yeah, exactly. Dara Collin. Uh, and who, who, no, who got hurt? Uh, uh, not Herrera, not Davis. Um, so a couple guys went down. Greg Holland. Greg Holland. Oh, what did yeah. I say? Derek, Derek Holland. Derek yeah. Holland? The man of many mustaches. But yes, Greg oh, Holland. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Holland, yes. Uh, yeah, and, and exactly. And, but they did it without Greg, without uh, Derek Holland, right. too. <laughs> Holland also wasn't on yeah. their roster. <laughs> Derek Holland didn't pitch for them. That, to me, is exactly the blueprint. And I'm not saying, look, I get that it's sexy to go say, oh, the Royals won the World Series. Go be like the Royals. Stop. Stop with that. Right. The Royals I also that, have yeah. I don't want that to be the message of this. The podcast. Royals also have great players. Great position players. Eric Hosmer, Mike Mustakas, Lorenzo Kane. They're just a great team. And yes, they have a little what might be perceived as a gimmick. Like they've got great outfield defense with uh, Jared Dyson and all those guys, everything that they can do, and a great bullpen. But they're just they're a great team. They have they have a great team, great players, and they season it. They garnish the dish with those two complementary pieces, which the Twins aren't doing. So I'm not just saying, oh, hey, or like you could do that. Well, the Mets got to the World Series. Just go draft a bunch of guys to right. throw 100 with strikeout stuff. Right. And if you get nine of those guys, your chances are good. Well, like, yeah, <laughs> right. Before we get to the roster move from last week that may have seemed inconsequential, tell the Touch em All listeners how they can regularly read your Five Thoughts columns as this exciting season continues. That's awesome. Wow, thank you. See, you're proving your worth as a volleyball player to bat you like things that? back That was forth. a bump and a set. All you have to do is not <laughs> spike this out of bounds. Go ahead. Uh, if, you do, if you're still listening to this Twins podcast this far in, you must love the Twins or you're some sort of masochist or maybe you like Phil and you're mad at me now for having ripped him a couple of times on this podcast. In any of those cases... I think that you would like getting my Five Thoughts email. I've started a mailing list to send out all of those. I write a column a couple of times a week based on my observations from Twins games or roster moves or anything like that. Just a quick, easy, digestible Five Thoughts, some opinions, some analysis, some baseball news. Subscribe to that by just going to 1500ESPN.com. Find my latest Five Thoughts column. And if you subscribe at the bottom, it's super easy. I'll do the rest of the work. So whether it's your masochism or twins fandom or, or just admiration for Phil Mackey, get your name on that list and I'll do the rest. Okay, so good plug there. Nice job. Thanks. You spiked it in bounds. Very, uh, it was a productive play offensively by our volleyball team here. So I saw this move come across last Friday, and um, my first thought was, while fans are going to look at that and say, great move, this had to be done, right. this no makes big a deal. ton of sense, yeah, I can't believe this didn't happen earlier. And my thought was, oh boy, I don't, I don't mind this move in a vacuum, but look at what this signifies. So J.R. Graham was DFA'd. As of the recording of this podcast, his status is still uncertain. I haven't seen anything. Don't think he's been claimed yet, but we don't know. He might go unclaimed and go back into the twin system. But I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, at this point, I wouldn't be either. He has like a combined 10.5 ERA at yeah. uh, AAA in, in the major leagues this year. So let's let's go back and let's let's tell a story about the 2015 Twins, who finished three games out of a wild card playoff spot, going into the year. Even they didn't think they were going to be in playoff contention based on the construct of their bullpen. Tim Stauffer, Blaine Boyer, Rule Five guy J.R. Graham. It was hey, let's get through this season. Let's see what happens. Let's be hopeful. 
Nobody over there, nobody outside of one Twins way thought on June 1st they'd have the best record in the American League. And so I totally understand going into the year, you like this arm, he's a double-A arm, who was roughed up at double-A the year before. So not major league ready at all, but Rule 5 draft states, if you want that player on your team, you have to have him on the roster for a full six months, um, or you have to offer him back to the team that took him, or swing a trade of some kind like they did with Scott Diamond a few years ago. And so I totally understand and do not fault them for trying to hide J.R. Graham on their 25-man roster when the season began. In May, you're a 20-win team. You're in first place on June 1st. Your bullpen had question marks. Even in June, you're thinking, oh, Glenn Perkins and... Mm, Come on. Trevor Come on, May had not yet been in the bullpen, and, and Jepson was still pitching for uh, somebody else, Tampa. the Tampa Bay Rays. No. So I'm faulting them from June 1st on. Hiding J.R. Graham as much as they can. Look at his game log from last oh, year. He's pitching in like nine to one game, twelve to two, thirteen to three. They're just trying to hide him in the bullpen. So yeah. they're pitching shorthanded right. up until that point. And rather than reassessing the situation and okay, we gotta we gotta really fix this bullpen right now. Let's sorry, J.R. Graham. Uh, we'll either swing a trade, put you in the minor leagues, or just send you back to the tam- to the uh, who he Braves. The Braves. Yeah. Yep. They hid him on the team for six months. Mm-hmm. He specifically gave up big crooked numbers or home runs in close games against the Yankees, the Rangers. This is all like post-June. The Blue Jays at one point. And even if he wasn't giving up crooked numbers in key games against fellow contenders when you're trying to scrape your way into the mid-80s for wins, his presence really made it tough for you to play matchups in certain spots. Just the upgrade over him in general, and then the extra taxing potentially of right. other relievers because right. you're pitching shorthanded. Oh, hey, this is a close game. We shouldn't throw J.R. Graham in. Yeah, Let's so go with the other six, go, seven relievers. Exactly. You're just you're handicapping yourself. When, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying he's the only reason why they missed the playoffs. But, sure. But his roster spot being a spot that was – it's a dead roster spot, and you don't want to use him in close games – absolutely led to them not making the playoffs last year. I'm not saying he was worth three wins plus or minus himself, but his spot and the domino effect I think is worth three wins maybe more. It it puts you in that conversation in that final weekend more than you already were. So, well, because you went through all that... You must love this kid. You sacrificed the playoffs potentially because of J.R. Graham and you want to hide him on the roster? You must love him. You must have great stuff. You must love the arm, all these things. One appearance with the Twins this year. And they started him off in the minors, which is the right move. And yeah. He struggled. Yeah. And they called him up kind of in a pinch, not faulting him for any of this stuff. One appearance, and he gets DFA'd. What is the process? Right. Process, process, process is what we harp on on this podcast. So in a vacuum, the move to put him on the 25-man at the beginning of last year, fine with it. DFAing him in a vacuum, I'm fine with it. All of this added up together, it's... It's just a weird process. It lacks organization. It lacks vision. It lacks evaluation. Mm -hmm. It lacks a lot of things. So for fans who thought that was inconsequential, that's the story of J.R. Graham from the start of 2015 through right now. It's almost like it was somebody else making the decision. Someone last year said, no, it doesn't matter. This is the process. We're playing for 2016 and beyond. We're hiding this roster spot. Or... Even if we are playing for 2015, we love J.R. Graham so much that it doesn't matter that he's hindering us in the short term. He's going to help us out in a big way long term. Well, then fast forward a month into the 2016 season, and he's taken off the roster. <laughs> taken off the 40-man roster. It's like, it's like somebody else was making that decision. It's like you were doing a cross-country road trip, and you're taking one interstate highway yeah. because you planned to take that, and then you need to take a snooze, so you're swapping out with your buddy, and your buddy doesn't know this way, so he takes another back road highway to get to the other interstate that he actually knows well, and now you're driving on that interstate, mm-hmm. which is both are fine in a vacuum. If you're going to take this one to go from, you know, Minneapolis down to Louisiana, well, all right, fine, you might take this one. Somebody else might take a different one, and that highway might be fine too. Yeah. Both of them are probably going to get you there in some form or fashion, but why did you waste the time in between Going on that different road, that different highway, you probably cost yourself another two and a half hours round no. trip. And that's exactly what the Twins did. Yeah, and it's, it's so hard to say. Let, let's just say you go into the 2015 season, and of all things we, we aren't sure about here as a franchise, let's make sure our bullpen is rock solid. Yeah. Let's make sure 
let's make sure we got all of our ducks in a row here. What if you replace, and this is easy in, in hindsight, but l- let's just say uh, you get into May even, and you just, okay, now things are heating up. JR, we're not going to sit here and hide you in 12-2 to two games. We're not just going to have a guy in our bullpen who only pitches in the mop-up. Everyone has to be available in close games, extra innings, whatever it is. I love that. This preparedness for 10-run games. Stop it with that. Right. Figure it out that day, and then you right. figure out your roster after that. If you replaced him in the middle of May with a viable reliever, whether it's via trade or um, your other options would have been maybe Jose Barrios. That was too early to call him up. Mm-hmm. Had you prepared in advance for this a little bit better, for June, July, August, September. Sure. Could you have found three extra wins in there? Maybe. I think probably. Uh, it would have been more than zero wins. I know that. The upgrade over J.R. Graham would have been more than zero wins, thus putting you closer to the 86 sure. wins necessary. Yeah. And he was DFA'd after one outing. I can't get over that in my head. It's, such, it's just such bizarre, terrible process. And if, it's, it's almost like a microcosm for what, what else is right. is a tug-of-war. What else are you pulling U-turns on internally that we don't know about, too? Yeah, that's where, I wouldn't say divisions are won and lost, but certainly postseason spots are won and lost in that in the two hours it takes you to get to the other interstate. Guess what? The To extend that analogy, or is that a metaphor? To extend that metaphor... Did you use the word like or no? No, I'm just, then it's just comparing a it with another... Real life example is a metaphor. Which simile is the word like? Like or as. Yeah. In this case, the twins are driving on an interstate highway and now they're on the backcountry road. Here's where we extend the metaphor. The other 29 teams, or whatever the other number of competitive teams in baseball, they picked an interstate and stuck with it. And they've got their foot all the way down on the pedal and they are flying, uh, you know. It's the matter of a couple of wins, and this season that doesn't matter. It's totally irrelevant. But last season, that matters. Next season, when you've got a Miguel Sano who's 24, Byron Buxton who's ostensibly ready to go, J.O. Barreos is leading your staff, and you've sort of figured things out from the pitching staff perspective, don't take that backcountry road. Just stay on the interstate because that's what all the other teams are doing. If you need to use cruise control, fine. That's okay. I don't. I know my ankle gets tired a little bit sometimes too. Maybe you gotta ease off the accelerator and just let the car's engine do the driving. But don't waste your time on these back roads. That's how you're gonna cost yourself the postseason. Once you are again competitive or ready to compete, I still think they should be looking at World Series 2017. But I know it's hard to see that in this eight and 23 morass. Take yourself seriously. Set yourself up better than you did this season. Um, it's not all your fault. A lot of this has been bad luck and crap like that, but mm-hmm. that happens in sports and in life. So deal with it, move on, set yourself up better for 2017. Well, we can do a lot of discussion. We're going to have all summer to discuss 2017 now. It's going to be it's going to be great. <laughs> You're going to get so but, tired by the fall and winter too. We'll but, have had it all planned out by right. then. But I think as a mid-market team, you just don't have access to as many John Lester, Zach Grinke, free agent types, David Price types. So, sure. So your starting pitching staff, unless you develop the hell out of guys like the Rays have done, and you sure. just, you've got Price followed by Archer, and you always have that next Johan and that next Barrios. Yep. I just, as a mid-market team, your bread and butter will never be lights out starting pitching staff. So it has to be, your run prevention has to come from other places. And so from this point forward, right now you got a lot of D-League softball players without great position flexibility. Wow. And so I would here's what I would be looking at going forward uh-huh. from now until the beginning of 2017. Outfield defense, bullpen, those things help minimize the importance of starting pitching. Just yeah. It helps pad the starting pitching yeah. on both sides. And if that means trading Oswaldo Arcia now that his value might be higher, he, look, look at by just putting him in the lineup for three months before the trade deadline – He's got a ton of team control left. Maybe he doesn't fit your plan of defense and positional logjam stuff, but maybe because you batted him for three months mm-hmm. and he's got 14 home runs at the trade deadline and other teams can look at him now and say, oh, yeah, that's a great young hitter. He might hit 30 in a full year. You can get something for him now yeah. as opposed to trading him in the winter time. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, Ricky Nolasco might actually have some trade value now that he's been in the starting rotation. Yeah. I think Trevor Plouffe has to go. Trevor yeah. Plouffe, almost 30 years old. He's got a year and a half left in the contract. So you've got some pieces to play with here. And I'm kind of with you. Look at the White Sox. The White Sox said, we got Chris Sale, got Dave Robertson over here. Let's fill out the rest of the bullpen. Mm -hmm. Let's put three center fielders in the outfield, play defense, 
Brett Laurie, pretty good defensive player, position flexibility in the infield. Let's go prevent runs. Mm-hmm. Let's just preventing runs is our is going to be our thing. We're the White Sox. For the Twins, they've never gone all in on run prevention at Target Field. It's so easy to get caught up in Byung-ho Park, home runs, Arcia home runs, Miguel Sano, offense, offense. Mid-market, I don't think that's the path. I think run prevention and whether it's speed or athleticism and position flexibility. Um, not that I know more than a front office would either. Sure. I'm just saying as an outside observer, I think that's the blueprint on the outside. And if you score 950 runs, none of this matters. You're going to be in the postseason and you'll roll the dice. Fine. But if you're not going to score 950 runs, like the Twins are not going to do this year, yeah. the roster fringes matter. A lot of these things that we get into on the podcast matter a lot. Um, we've been awfully negative. I want to talk about two things before we end this podcast that I love this week. Joe Maurer batting leadoff. That hasn't happened yet. But it will. <laughs> I, I, I still like to think that Molitor knew the game was getting it rained out and just to yeah. screw with people, yeah. put Joe Maurer leadoff in that lineup. And then it comes in tonight. Well, I asked him after the rainout, is this going to be a thing? And he was, he was like noncommittal. He goes, well, you know, I see that it's, there's some logic and I think we've been struggling and Maurer is a hitter and it is Monday. And he right. did the Rick Spielman thing yeah. where he's like, Rick, is it Monday? Well, you know, days of the week are all kind of, I mean, every day the sun rises, and then sometimes there are months, and in Minnesota, some months are just colder than other months. And really, uh, you know, we've already received three phone calls about trading Tuesday. Yeah. So <laughs> just throw that out there in your newspapers, yeah, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I like it. I think the Twins are going to experiment with it. I don't think it'll be a one-game thing. At the time of this recording... Uh, Kevin Gausman is scheduled to pitch Tuesday night, and I have not seen a lineup yet, but I would imagine that Maurer will be back at the top. And Molitor might play some matchups. He loves doing that, even mm-hmm. though Maurer doesn't take a big step back against lefties. In fact, for a left-handed hitter, he's great at hitting lefties. But I think they'll play around with that. I just like the idea of having the best on-base threat at the top of the lineup. The rest of the lineup kind of doesn't matter. You just put your best hitters at the top, and let the rest play out. Look at some of the guys around the league batting leadoff now. Teams are yeah. rightfully at John Jay Sobat's leadoff for the Pirates. Yep. I'm trying to think the other ones. It, it makes a lot of sense. For so long, speed has been the most important ingredient in the minds of managers and even GMs. Got to have speed at the top of the order because you want those guys to be, to be running when the big boppers come up. I just want the bases to have somebody on them. Yeah. I, you know, that's the first thing. If I have to choose between speed or on base... I'm putting on base at the top of my order I want to and have, going from there. I want to have good hitters hitting with men on base as often as I can. Yeah. I can rig my lottery tickets in this case, and I, the Twins are choosing to do so by putting Maurer at the top. So I like that. Mm-hmm. The other thing I like, Dick Bramer, props, talking about batting average on balls in play on the FSN broadcast. I've heard him mention it before in a yeah. mocking tone. Totally. So I, I must have missed this. Let me say reason. this. Even if you are mocking it, Getting it out into sort of the public dialogue, the public discussion, there will be a non-zero percentage of people who hear that, even if it's mocking, and and Jack Morris did make a quick little joke. I think Jack's hilarious on Twins Broadcasts, by the way. He made a quick little joke about like, oh, Babip, yeah, I heard about that. Isn't that that small town up in the Iron Range? Right, Uh, of course. All right, that's funny. That's fine. I think even with sort of mocking it or belittling it as as valueless or, or whatever they were trying to suggest with that, there's going to be a non-zero percentage of people who are like, BABIP, I wonder what that is. Mm-hmm. And they check around, and they look into it, and they realize that, well, BABIP is one of these predictive things that we can learn more about the game of baseball, and we can see, like, oh, hang on, Danny Santana might be in for a huge rude awakening in his sophomore yeah. season. It's for when, when people, Judd and I have had this conversation on the radio show, how did you know, Phil, that Danny Santana and Eddie Rosario would drop off the next season? Yeah. Um, well, with Danny Santana, it was batting average on balls in play. It was astronomical in that rookie season. Rosario's wasn't quite as astronomical. It was more about the free-swinging nature. Yeah. He didn't draw walks. And he he is, struck out all the time. For people who don't know this, because they pay attention whether it's on the fringes or whatever, Eddie Rosario is horrible right now. He is so valueless to the Twins. He's basically, I wrote this in that 12-step process thing, the 12 steps to healing. <laughs> Uh, that find God never was. <laughs> he is so lucky that he plays in an organization desperate for outfielders right now. There's no way a player like that would be in the major leagues if he played on an organization that had he three might, or four outfielders. Yeah, he might be packing pretty soon. He might be looking at apartments.com so. in Rochester pretty soon. 